1: Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 105. Brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always joined by the best doggone co-host in the game mr nine-year streak without a bad day he is benjamin solak follow his work at the draft bleeding green follow him on twitter at benjamin solak that's s-o-l-a-k ben how you doing brother mike is every, every day is a good day to yes, be alive there it is <laughs>
2: <laughs> no i'm doing well man thank god ben simmons Just signed to a max like five minutes ago. And so I'm very much enjoying that. And the future of Philadelphia 76ers basketball with four players signed through 2023. I know you are also thrilled about this news. I
1: don't even know what that means. I just know that Ben Simmons is really popular, but he's not that good of a player. It's kind of weird. Kind of weird from the outside looking in.
2: Hey, 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 no.
1: To be fair, I don't even know what a good basketball player is most of the time.
2: That's friend of the show Owen Reese causing problems. Uh, that he's 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 skewing your mind. He's poisoning your perspective on Ben Simmons with his Milwaukee propaganda.
1: I didn't even see it, but I agree with him already.
2: <sighs> no, but Simmons—it's been a very good off season for Seventy Sixers. It's been a very good off for the Eagles, and so it is an interesting question that's been lobbed on sports radio in Philadelphia. Which is not often that interesting questions are lobbed on sports radio in Philadelphia. <laughs> but the question of who has higher championship expectations, Eagles or Sixers, is a legit like conversation. I think it's a very interesting talk.
1: I want to go with the Eagles. All the way. It's definitely not the Phillies. I mean, they're in total disarray right now.
2: Imagine watching John Solness turn off the podcast. Baseball. Imagine.
1: Just melting down every time a relief pitcher comes in. Like, I don't even watch it, but I could just tell from the timeline when they have to go to the bullpen. Because it's just full-on meltdown from everybody.
2: (sighs) I just, I have never, pro baseball has never, ever done it for me, man. I just can't get engaged with it. And I root for the Phillies. I'm very excited that things are going poorly for them. Exclusively because they're the Philadelphia team, and that's all the information I have.
1: Yeah. So the message here is go Philly Sports. And speaking of Philly Sports, we're gonna be talking about the sport that matters. We're gonna be talking about football, the Philadelphia Eagles. Last show 104, we did prop bets using Mike Clay's projection. Mike Clay from ESPN. He's a great follower, check him out. But we did the offensive side of the ball. Today we're gonna be doing the defensive side of the ball. So let's just dig right into it, Ben. First up on the menu today is Fletcher Cox with a sack total set by Mike Clay at 8.2. We're going to make that a clean 8.0 for this exercise. And before we get into our predictions, let's take a moment to appreciate Cox for what he is. And to do that, I'm actually going to go outside of the Philadelphia media because I like to do that every now and then. We know he's great here. Uh, We're going to go with a quote from Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus. Shout out, Austin. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. That's G-A-Y-L-E. Because our dear Austin wrote a piece in May with the headline, While cast in Aaron Donald's shadow, Fletcher Cox will go down as one of the best to ever do it. Couldn't agree more. Long headline, but no judgment here since we at BGN aren't always known for economy of language in the headline department. Anyway, here's some of the major bullet points from that article. Uh, Since 2015, Donald ranks first in pass rush grade, total pressures, and pass rush win percentage. Cox ranks second behind Donald in all three metrics. Cox's pass rush win rate in 2018 is the fourth best single season mark of any interior defensive lineman in the PFF era and his 91.2 pass rush grade this past season another career high for the big man also ranks inside the top 10 among qualifiers since 2006 last one here talking about run defense now Gill says quote falling behind some run defense specialists that lack pass rush ability Cox ranks ninth on the list but still has amassed an impressive 91.2 run defense grade in that five-year span, unquote. Here's the point I'm making here. Cox is a big force. He's the cornerstone of the Eagles defense. All that said, the over-under at eight sacks is a tough one. We know the pressures and opportunities will be there. Right. He hasn't consistently hit it over that mark, but 10 and a half sacks last year, after somewhat transforming his body, changing the way, you know, like dietary, nutrition, all that stuff, transforming his body, it gives me enough reason to slam the over here. I'm going to go with the over on eight sacks. Ben, what say you?
2: Well, let me ask you this. Last year, 2018, how many interior defensive rushers had eight sacks or more? Maybe three. Eight. Eight.
1: Wow, Which is a
2: lot more than I, right, a (laughs) a lot more than I thought it would be, which is fascinating in context because 2017, there was three. 2016, there was three. 2015, there was, I think, two, mm. four. Okay. We had a big jump in interior rushers having successful sacks in 2018 as compared to the last few years, right? Fletcher's only broke over eight twice. It was in 2015 when he had 9.5 and then 2018 when he had 10.5. And in 2015, he was technically being categorized as a defensive end because we were still in the 3-4 at that time and he was not playing the nose, right? He was playing with Benny Logan and Fletch was a 3-4 defensive end. When you go and you look at X-Sacks, which is something that Dan Morse, who is a, a Seahawks guy who does things for Beast Pode and, and, and the Seahawks analytics there, when he does X-Sacks, X-Sacks is a metric that loves Fletcher Cox. And he brought up on Twitter the other day that Fletch is consistently about four and a half sacks under expectation mm. for him, according to Dan's model. And when we say under expectation, basically what that means is the extent to which Fletch is generating pressure, the quarterbacks that he's facing and the offensive line that he's facing. Cox just isn't turning out sacks as much as you'd expect him to turn out as much as other players who generate these pressures would will, will, will score in the number of sacks. I'm not sold on eight as like an easily reachable number. I don't think it's as low as it sounds. You know what I mean? Like we all think Fletcher's a great player, but like eight sacks for an interior defensive lineman is a really good season. Yeah. And Fletch is, and, and like all the Eagles, pass rushers a lot of that because jim schwartz is so good at creating pressure a lot of the eagles pass rushers he just doesn't turn out sacks the way his pressure numbers would indicate and that's how he affects the game is he a pressure or not sack and so like i don't want to say under eight because i think we would agree that andre is an underachieving season for for fletch and there's right. no reason to assume he's going to underachieve but like i mean like like, like it's eight, like 10.5 last year great 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 number he had 5.5 the year previous and 6.5 in 2016 you know, we still thought he was like an elite elite player. We still thought he was a great player. But I was not like eighth for an interior guy's a lot.
1: Let's consider this, Ben, because 10 and a half sacks is great, but then there's also the context, and maybe this is why he performed under expectation, is I know for a fact the first five games, the average time to throw for quarterbacks was really, really quick, under 2.4 seconds against the Eagles, and I think it was saying for pretty much most of the first half of the season, I'd have to check the second half of the season, so I think there's a reason that he would be under that number, and even with that, even with quarterbacks getting the ball out lightning fast, he was still very productive. And I think that's the reason that I'm, I'm confident in the over, but you're right. I mean, you, you mentioned the stats of only three, three, two, two guys, you know, on the defensive interior getting that sack number. I still think it's something that Fletch can hit. So again, sacks are a weird number even if he hits the under, I still think he's an extremely disruptive player, no matter how you look at it, because we preach all the time, and we're going to get to this with Brandon Graham here in a second, that sacks aren't the only number when you're gauging how effective uh, defensive lineman is. So let's go to the defensive ends, because there's some low projections here, probably, you know, rightfully so for Brandon Graham, because he doesn't always hit over this number. But Clay is projecting a bit of a dull year from both Brandon Graham and and Derek Barnett in the way of sacks 6.9 and 6.8 respectively so I think that begs the question we'll put the number at seven sacks like is this the year that Derek Barnett breaks out because if he's under that I don't think that's a breakout season for him I thought he was on a better pace for that last year before going out and then Brandon Graham again does he struggle to take down the quarterback despite all of the pressures that he amasses, you know, throughout his career. I think he's healthier this year. So I think that sack number from last year is misleading. We talked about it a bunch. His doctor told him, look, you're not gonna be the same until like week 10. So that was after the bye. And I thought we saw a burstier first step get off from Graham. After that buy. So I think that part was accurate. But what do you think about their over-unders for the sacks? Because I think with Graham, I'm going to take the under again. I think he gets about six and a half sacks maybe. So just short. Yeah. With Derek Barnett, that's a tricky one. Because we don't quite know what he is yet. But I feel like he's going to be the guy that gets less consistent pressure than Graham. But ends up getting more sacks. I'll take the over on Barnett.
2: I am thrilled for Derek Barnett. Whose over under is set at 6.8 sacks, I believe it was 6.8 or
1: 6.9? 6.8 for Barnett, yeah. Almost nice. Brandon Graham was (laughs)
2: 6.9. So if we call it a a flat seven, he'll get seven sacks. The internet will accost me (laughs) verbally, digitally. You hated Derek Barnett. You said Derek Barnett was a bad player who's never going to be good. And we will all look over the fact that from the beginning, I have said he is a six to eight sack player, which seven is. What is between six and eight? Right. And that I will really enjoy that. I will, as per usual, have a really great time with that. Barnett and Graham, oh, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm also under on Graham. Mm-hmm. But unlike, you know, in the previous podcast where we said, like, all right, somebody's got to produce these yards. It's not really in the sense that, like, all right, if Graham's going to be under, then Derek Barnett should be over, right? That's not necessarily the case. Right. If I had to bet on a guy to lead the Eagles in sacks, it would be Barnett. Because there's just no reason to believe that that Graham, even though he'll be taking a lot of snaps, and even Subway, though you know he's yeah. always been a productive pass rusher, there's no reason to, to believe at this point in his career he's going to be a big sack number guy. He just doesn't put up gaudy sack numbers.
1: Now, are you talking about the edge group by itself, or are you including the interior with that?
2: I talk about the edge group. Talk about the edge group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, among the defensive ends, yeah, and so. Eileen under Graham, and then probably still under Barnett, but Barnett is more like it's a, that's more fifty fifty on that. And he's more likely to have an explosive season where he's closer to ten sacks than Graham is at this point. Mm. And it's worth noting that like Graham playing a sixteen game season is probably unlikely. Like he really iron manned it out for the twenty seventeen season, of the Super Bowl run, and that was sick. But he's had see, He's had pretty much four straight healthy seasons. And now he's 31, and he's been beat up the last two off-seasons. And so it would be really impressive if he were able to stay healthy for this whole season. So I think Barnett will lead the Eagles defensive ends in sacks. The under is probably the safer bet for both of them, though, which is a little bit contradictory, but it's fine. The player who I do think, like, I think I would take the over on Curry's 3.2 very easily. Hmm. Because if they don't get anything good out of Josh Sweat or Sharif Miller, which I don't think is likely, I think they're going to get something good out of Sweat, but even then... Curry's just—he's gonna be their number one rotational guy, and he's gonna see the field a lot in three defensive end sets. With we acknowledge Malik Jackson kind of muddies that projection a little bit because Jackson's like a two eighty-five, two ninety guy rushing from the interior. But yeah, Curry I think is gonna see more than the four hundred and sixty-five snaps he's offered, and at the four hundred and sixty-five snaps he's offered, I would even say he's probably better than three point two. So Curry is the player who I think like Curry I think Curry is going to be what he has been for the Eagles, which is like a five sack guy which most teams are very happy with that as their second edge. The Eagles have that in their third edge. Yeah. And so to me, uh, five sacks feels like it was about right for Vinny Curry.
1: So would you say that between let, – let's let's group this together kind of. Malik Jackson, Timmy Jernigan, Vinnie Curry, Josh Sweat. You're saying the top two sack getters of those four would be – Curry for the defensive ends and Jackson for the interior. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, and we BLG and I talked about this a little bit on the most previous episode of BGN Radio where we discussed things we're excited about. I would love to tell you that I'm betting on production from Timmy Jernigan, but I'm just gonna wait to see what right. his health is. Right, because <laughs> like there's there's circumstances where like a player is injured in the season, and you know you you there's context to it. and It was reported on, and then you're trying to figure out what he's going to be next year jernigan like i still don't even know what his injury right. was how he got injured all the nonsense behind it
1: and it was possibly career ending
2: yeah the, when he was integrated last year it was just like like it was it was haphazard he was ineffective he was flashy and then nothing like it was just I, I like i i have no idea where he is right now
1: he gets a lot of credit for that saints game for playing poorly for most of the game and getting a sack i'll say that much on eagles twitter at least that's what i see i am uh very much waiting when it comes to projecting Timmy Jernigan. So I would definitely agree with that. I think 404 snaps is wildly high for what we know right now. He could hit that. I just don't know, man. I, I can't I can't bet on that. Uh you comfortable to move on to the linebacker group here, Ben?
2: I'm interested to move on to the linebacker group. Okay. I would welcome that move.
1: So let's talk about the linebacker group because okay, one of the things that I noticed like right away, and this is kind of like a joking point, but I noticed that Clay has Nigel Bradham Projected for half of an interception, he has two in seven years, which is wild for a guy that sees a significant amount of covered snaps. How many dropped interceptions need to happen until he gets one, Ben? I'm going to set the over-under at six.
2: Oh, how many times he needs a drop of all? That's to a add, sad over-under. you mean. One i think he gets one i think he's on the field literally all the time and right. eventually a ball has to accidentally bounce his way
1: and he doesn't have hicks taking away those coverage snaps either so they're going to be and that's even. what i'm saying right yeah. like
2: he's gonna be on the field forever and so if you don't get an interception <laughs> that's a problem
1: they catch half a ball yeah that's gonna that's that's a nice right like with there. the san francisco 49 right <laughs> <laughs> so there's also a grouping of snaps at linebacker that i'm really interested in here clay has Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown taking the bulk but then after that you kind of get into a run where it was a conversation like the one we had on the KNS 104 with Goddard Aguilar and Jay jaw where you've got Paul Worlow, LJ Fort and Kamu Grugier-Hill battling it out. He has snaps in that order so I think the question is when the Eagles go base which last year was only I think 17% of the time which is about 8% lower than the previous year. Uh, people still freak out about linebacker depth for some reason despite that but when they go base and goal line who is the guy out of those three? And hell, Nate Gary isn't even mentioned, maybe for good reason. But Ben, who do you think gets the most snaps out of that trio? It's <sighs> a tough bullet. one.
2: Man, they really – they had a thing for, uh, for Gary. They've really been trying to make him, you know, like a he thing. won the lifting competition. Yeah, like they really <laughs> – like, you know, since the Nebraska pick, I don't know. Kamu?
1: Kamu, yeah. I like Kamu's projection, yeah, man. Camus. I feel like he's gotten better every year.
2: Uh, like, uh, Camus is – known, which unless the other guys are going to really stand out and do something in this training camp in this preseason, you know what you can do with Camus on the field. You know what you're getting. You already have packages where he's been and he's been successful. So yeah. Griget Hill is going to be my guess.
1: I think he's got the higher upside when it comes to coverage skills, like the tools that he has yeah. to be able to stay on for passing downs. It's higher than a Zach Brown, a Paul Warlow, and an lj Ford. even though I thought right. Fort was pretty decent coverage too.
2: Warlow is... is Super interesting to me, right? Because he was like a healthy eagle for what, like five days last year, right? And then he has the injury during OTAs, which is very sad. But it feels like I don't, I don't. There's, there's this kind of not like you know tacit, but there's just like kind of unspoken, which is the same thing as tacit. So I guess tacit um, idea that like the Eagles really want Paul Wardolo to be a thing, and that was the not, not the impression that I got when they signed him. So I don't know what in his recovery period has kind of generated that. But, like, Warlow being projected the third most snaps here at linebacker. Yeah. I would not have called him a lot to make the team. And he's got the third most snaps here. Yeah. If that's insider stuff, I don't know how necessarily that makes sense. To me, like, once you picked up Zach Brown, which was a good pickup, you made Paul Warlow very redundant because you have a Mike, you have a Sam, Zach Brown, and Nigel Radham, respectively. And then you... You know, weak side linebacker. They're doing Camille. You're bringing down Malcolm Jenkins as a safety, which is what they want to do. So I don't like. I think Brown made Warlow quite obsolete because is Warlow going to do as much for you on special teams as LJ Fort, Camus, or Nate Gary? I really don't think so.
1: Who are very good special teams guys. I mean, Camus is a fantastic yeah. special teams guys. LJ Fort stuck around the league and finally got his opportunity because he was so good on special teams and you couldn't get rid of him. I actually think Warlow gets the lowest amount of snaps, higher than Nate Gary, who I really haven't included in this. But I mean, my snap total would go Camus George Hill, LJ Fort, Paul Warlow. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, LJ is also interesting because of the whole compic thing, but assuming that doesn't get calculated in, then I would say, yeah, right. I would say Camus, LJ, Paul Warlow. That makes sense to me.
1: All right. So that's the linebacker position for the Eagles. When we come back, we're going to take a journey into the defensive backfield, and we're going to talk about punter averages and how good they are about getting it inside the 20. Exciting stuff coming up here on the Kiston Solak Show 105. We'll be right back. And we are back on the Kist and Solek show episode 105 brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solek. We are talking over under projections for the 2019 Philadelphia Eagles. Again, last show, 104. We did the offensive side of the ball today. We're doing the defensive side of the ball. We've already run through the interior defensive line, edge players linebackers. Now is the trickiest group of the bunch. We're going to get to the cornerbacks. First thing that stood out to me is the fact that Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills are the projected starters. But you look at the snaps and they're all kind of clumped together. And not only is Rasul Douglas not considered a starter, but he's still projected to have more interceptions than Jalen Mills. That me.
2: It's my favorite thing on the entire sheet. I'm so <laughs> glad you brought it up. Is that we have Rasul Douglas projected to have more interceptions than anybody except for Ronald Darby by <laughs> just a little bit. Like, yeah. it's Ronald Darby in first at 1.4, Rasul Douglas in second at 1.2, and then nobody of like Jalen Mills, and Jones and Dante Maddox is as close to Sewell as Darby is. So, yeah. Douglas has half as many snaps as, as Darby and basically the same number of interceptions, which he goes back in, like, to chaos. everything we've been saying about Russell Douglas. It's yeah. just, listen, no, he does. he is not great. He isn't. But if you're going to put a player out there who's going to get burned, at least have him also be able to make really high-impact plays. Because Douglas is going to get smoked, but he's also going to pick the football off. I can live with it if, if we're going to get some turnovers.
1: It's so weird because I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to start right away. Like I don't think it's going to be an open competition. If Jalen Mills is healthy coming into the season, I think he starts. But it's it's funny to me because the way that the snaps are laid out, he's like "Yo, Darby is your ingrained starter once he's 100% out there, right? And then it's just mm-hmm. – it's 556 snaps for Mills, 465 for Jones. 445 for Rasul, 424 for Avanti Maddox. He's like, look, this defensive backfield is going to be ever changing throughout the year. And I think that's really accurate. So it's hard. And that's why it's so hard to predict what the Eagles are going to do with their packages because I feel they could go a multitude of different ways. I feel that they could change their big time package, which could lead to some quirky substitution changes based on matchup and you know the personnel that they're going to be going up against that week. So it's really all over the place. I'm really hoping. I, I know we've said this a lot, but if Rasul gets the opportunity, it's going to be really hard to get him off the field because of his ball production. And I really feel towards the end of the season last year, he was seeing things better, which meant that his gambling type of style of play Lended itself better to that type of ball production because he was able to overlap zones and read quarterbacks better. He wasn't getting caught out and busting as much, which is why I believe he was being left off the field to begin with because that was a big question. Mm-hmm. Why is Rasul not taking away snaps from Mills? I don't think Schwartz trusted him. I think Rasul did a good job making the case for himself that he is a trustworthy guy that isn't just going to bust because right. he takes a huge gamble. There's still some element of that game to his game there but I feel that Schwartz should trust him more coming into this season especially
2: his his strength and run game is again still boom busty like he's a he's an ankle nipper right he'll come down and he'll be diving for your feet as a ball carrier and that's a very high risk high reward style of tackling um, which isn't ideal and it's not what you'd like of a 200 plus pound corner which I think Sewell is at least close to 200 if he's not over 200 I think he's in the 190 if memory serves Rasul Douglas wait enter. 209 was good. Yeah, he's a big dude. He's a healthy young man. And to the point of trust, right, it's something that I learned uh, at training camp last year that Rasul Douglas does not like to talk about uh, and probably just objectively does not agree with. But at West Virginia, Sewell had a bit of an issue in terms of identifying the run and coming down as a force player. And that's something that you've seen. At least there's definitely been improvement on at the NFL level. And so, like you said, as you improve under a coach, that coach then puts his trust in you, right? Because he's right. the one who's helped kind of spur on it and develop that growth. I disagree with you when you say that I don't think it'll be an open competition. I think it will be. I very much do.
1: Is this is this wishful thinking?
2: No, this is kind of a stupid reason, but it's kind of not, right? There's not much else to be doing during training camp except for figuring this out. Like, you've got yeah. your entire defensive line is, like, great. Like, you have no problems. There. like, oh, you know, defensive end four. Okay, so you got to watch Josh Sweat. You have to figure out the linebacker thing, but you can't roll into camp and have Darby and 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 Mills as your lot. You're like you already have to figure out a nickel corner, so you're going to be rotating people in and out anyway. If you're out there with Darby and Mills starting, you know, again Mills now third year in a row starting under Schwartz, and Douglas is out there on the second team performing well as he has done in previous training camps. Like the the, the team doesn't not know what's going on, right? You know what I mean? Like the the, the offense, the the defensive linemen, the linebackers, like they aren't like oh yeah, is probably good. No, like they know that like you know Mills is potentially being protected from Douglas taking his job and that doesn't last you know what I mean so I do think that there's going to be Douglas playing with the ones in training camp to see what that looks like because while Mills is very likable from a original draft capital perspective like it was cool that a seventh rounder was starting and, and producing and likable from a personality perspective and a, a love of Philadelphia perspective, he really hasn't done anything on field to warrant protection and to warrant continuation. Like right now, Mike, like think of the, uh, well, what's your um, titular Jalen Mills play? What's your Jalen Mills play? Like, oh, that defines his goodness. Wow. Right, exactly. Like, what's your play where you're like, that's what I'm hanging my hat on Mills Becoming, right? Is it what? Is it?
1: Playing good technique on a corner route in the red zone? Yeah, exactly.
2: Is it is it the Julio Jones incompletion on fourth on fourth down? It's got to be, That's yeah. That's the only that's one that comes to
1: mind. And listen, wasn't a great ball. I mean, Julio fell down too, <laughs> so he got a little help. Yep.
2: <laughs> so that's that's my thing. Is like I just don't think. I think Mills. I don't want to say Mills is like you know like his like tenures run out and sense like they've just been stringing him on all along. Like he's been up and down. He's had his good games. He's been overly criticized for plays that weren't weren't his mistakes. So on and so forth. Right. But he uh, Douglas has done enough that you can't just justify having Mills above Douglas. Arbitrarily,
1: I mean, looking looking at the corners too. You've got Avante Maddox in there, but I I'm leaking into the safety position here because we talk about these sub packages. They could run a big dime. I don't know if you can call it big dime with Avante Maddox, but how small he is. But I think he takes a lot of those snaps, and he's got Clay's got the projections for Sendejo and Maddox for their snaps really really close. We know the Eagles like to run a lot of big dime, but that was also because of the health of Jordan Hicks. Now, does Schwartz trust the second linebacker in the rotation? more this year than last year considering when Hicks was hurt I you know I don't know so it's really hard to kind of play that out again all of this is pretty difficult to project but Anderson Dejo at 400 snaps with Avanti Maddox right by him with 424 seems a bit too close to me I think there's a bigger difference there and BLG has talked about this a lot you just got to find a way to get Maddox on the field I think it's right, yeah, you know yeah. no matter how you do it no matter where you put him he's shown he can wear multiple hats we feel his weakest area of play last year was actually free safety just not natural at the position doesn't have a whole lot he's, of reps was,
2: his weakest area is free safety he's not a free safety Correct. that's right. why you know people were like big on that but he was never supposed to be there
1: right but he played fantastic at outside corner when he had to he played excellent as as a nickel so i think he severely outsnaps out sandejo, and sandejo is gonna have to battle for snaps along with that defensive backfield would you agree with that statement
2: no like yeah i agree yes Maddox will be a focal player over Sandejo. Like, Maddox is the opposite of Jalen Mills in the sense of, like, oh, what has Mills done to warrant de facto starting job? Like, Maddox last year, when things were dire, and I'm on, like, you know, my immediate post-draft piece that I put up on Maddox was, you know, this player's got the juice, but he needs a year. He needs he needs time to really, like, you know, settle into NFL play because he's right. too over aggressive right now at his length to be jumping the routes that he's jumping and attacking the way that he's attacking. And then... He came out of reserves and was really, really effective. And during even training camp, you were seeing him take to coaching and take to teaching really, really well. Yeah. So Matt, this is a guy who's warranted now. Like he's he. There's a a good reason to get him on the field given what he's shown you in the past couple of years. Swell, that's fantastic. But I don't think that bites into Sendejo snaps because I think I want like I, I Sendejo with the whole compact thing again. It can kind of you know models the reasoning. But I really want Sendejo on the field hmm. because. Dear God, Almighty and adorable, we haven't seen this defense with an actual third safety
1: <laughs> ever. It's such a big improvement on Corey Graham. That alone in itself is a victory.
2: This is my thing: is that you, you, you never, unless you're truly like you know playing a traditional dime package, ever have to put Malcolm Jenkins in a deep half again. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to put Malcolm in the deep half. He's very good playing in the box, in the overhang, playing you know short zones, curl, flat, hook, curl. And, and that's where he's strong. That's where he's making the most impact plays. That's where he's got the most impact on the defense in terms of like captaining it and being in the center and organizing people. It's what, Sendejo on the field is what allows you to put Maddox down in coverage roles, which is where he's more natural. It allows you to, to match Maddox up. Like third safety is not super important. Deep half, deep middle of the field. These are not critical areas. These are not frequently targeted places. And of course, when they're targeted, they're very high leverage plays because of completion, you know, 35 yards down the field yeah. Huge completion. It's an explosive play, and that's a great deal. But Sendejo is, is more than capable of handling that. And of course, people, you know, say well, Sendejo is like a you know a, a box safety for the Vikings. He really wasn't. Like he's good in the box. He's probably better in the box than he is deep, but he was running with Harrison Smith. And Harrison Smith is a box, box, box safety. He is a linebacker playing safety. So Sendejo spent a lot of time in deep zones. And that's what I want him to be, such that I can take players who are better at the line, namely Malcolm Jenkins, Avante Maddox, and keep them up near the line of scrimmage. And so I think Sendejo, in the event that he's retained on the team, which I, you know, like, again, like, I'd really like that complex situation to bear out that extra fourth round pick. You have to pay attention to LJ Fort, Andrew Sendejo, Jordan Matthews, we've talked about it before, com- complicated formula, but whatever. If Sendejo remains, he's a guy I'd really like to see remain on the team and take a significant number of snaps. Because I think it, it helps you protect McLeod from injury and helps you keep Malcolm Jenkins and Avante Maddox where they belong.
1: To, to your point, I was just looking at the snaps for Sandejo and where he aligned pro football focus. Has him at safety for, I want to say about, I'm doing quick math here, but about 66% of his snaps were at free safety. So he's definitely got experience there. Like you said, working uh-huh. alongside Harrison Smith, you're going to have to play some deep because Harrison Smith is going to be sniffing around the line like an am right. Last one. Cameron Johnston over under a twenty five punts inside the twenty. What you got? I think it's over. I think the guy's. I think the guy's a stud.
2: Let's let's
0: <laughs> never
2: forget when it was training camp and everybody was like, "Listen, Cameron Johnston does not look good," and our valiant hero Ben, you know, little little engine that could, little tiny little reporter wannabe, you know, first timer there said. Y'all, Cameron Johnson is just trying to practice putting punts in different spots. He's not missing. Right. And then he came out and had a fantastic season. That was my favorite thing that happened. It was like, man, you know, for a guy who's supposed to be able to kick it long, Johnson really seemed to be struggling to get distance. No, he's just trying to kick it 40 yards, guys. He's practicing the 40. (laughs)